HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by the Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York, partnering with Grow NYC on a pilot project to make farm fresh trees and wreaths available at green markets. For more information, visit christmastreesny.org. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, December 2nd. This is the 89th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a true wine-wise guy, and I will introduce him in a moment. First, as we do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to be an authority. Own your field, whatever that may be. Study it, practice it, and live it with a passion. You can be the best in your profession if you put your mind to it. So work hard to be a respected expert and the one others turn to as the authority. That's my tip today. Very excited to have my guest here. It is Anthony Giglio, one of the most entertaining wine and spirits authorities on the planet. He is a writer, educator, and storyteller who, among his roles, is the wine director for the Centurion Lounge by American Express. He has also written 10 books, including three editions of the annual Food and Wine magazine Wine Guide Review, Mr. Boston Official Bartender's Guide, and his highly regarded first book, Cocktails in New York. He has also written for publications such as Food and Wine, Travel and Leisure, Esquire, and Details, and many, many more. So that's the short bio I'm giving for you, but welcome, Anthony. Thank you, Sherry. I always fear like it's my obituary when I hear this. I wonder if I'm dead or not when people start reading all of my history. No, you're very alive. Thank you. Thank you. I'm <laughs> thrilled to be here. Back on Heritage Radio. It's, my I think, my fourth time taping here. Awesome. Uh, you're regular. It's cool. Love it. So I like starting out with people's backgrounds, and unf- unfortunately, recently, 
details closed and oh. or folded. And yes. but you wrote a really lovely piece about the May 1992 issue that changed your life and talking about working at detail. So I thought if you could talk about that a bit and so our listeners know know what happened. Yeah, I, I was feeling really nostalgic when I got the email from my editor, um, James Oliver Curry, who told me that uh, Detail was folding. And I have been writing on and off since 96. But my history with them goes back to 92, like you said. Um, at that time, I was working at the very, very sexy national real estate investor, a, a, a real estate trade magazine. It was my, uh, my second job out of college during uh, the recession of 1991. Um, and my editor there, Dora Hattress, um, who I had you know, coffee with every morning in her office. We, you know, she'd close the door, she'd smoke cigarettes, and we would talk about our single life in New York and what we were doing you know, all weekend and the night before. And I would always talk about, you know, whatever date I'd been on or wherever I was, you know, eating, drinking, working and what wine I had. And I didn't see what was right in front of me. And she said, why aren't you writing about wine? And I looked like she had six heads because I was 22. And, you know, I did read Wine Spectator and I read Decanter and every single critic in that magazine had gray hair and was over 40. And I thought, I'm not old enough. And she said... That's exactly the point. We need a 20-year-old out there, you know, figuring this out from a younger demographic, for a younger demographic, from a younger demographic. And I thought she was nuts, and I let it go. Um, but within a week or two, I was uh, out to lunch by myself, sitting on the steps of the post office on 8th Avenue, and uh, I had just grabbed um, a copy of the May 92 details that had uh, Matt Dillon crouched down on the cover, and it was 92 careers for 1992. And one of them was become a sommelier, meet chicks. And I thought, there it is again. Somebody else telling me to become a wine expert. Um, and I called the, uh, this is pre-internet, so I had to go call information and ask <laughs> if it still existed. This, uh, the school mentioned that there was a sommelier society of America, which has since fractured into two different groups in New York. But at the time, it was the only school for restaurant professionals, but I didn't realize that. And when I got a call back from um, the woman who run, ran the school over in the East 20s, she said, uh, we have two seats left and classes begin next Tuesday. So if you want in, you should sign up right now. And I said, done. And she said, great, we'll see you at Say Yang. The, they, were, they were using Say Yang's dining room for the classes. Roger Dagorn was the teacher. Oh, um, wow. Roger was, uh, yeah, he was the master psalm in charge. And Renzo Rapicioli from Barolo. So back then, um, Roger was at, um, um, oh God, in Tribeca, uh, they closed. Uh, Chanterelle. Chanterelle. And Renzo was at Barolo. Those were the two guys in charge of the class. So I said, great. And she says, we'll see you next Tuesday at noon. And I paused and said, noon? I work. And she said, well, so do these people, but they work nights. This is for restaurant professionals. So I went back to Dora's office and said, this was your idea. Um, I need help. And she said, well, it's pretty easy from my perspective. I could see letting you do this, but the problem is you and your big mouth because we'd get in big trouble if I let you leave every Tuesday for a year. Oh, it's for a year? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay. Um, she said, but if you could um, keep your big mouth shut, I'll cover for you. And if you promise not to leave at lunchtime ever, unless it's a really extenuating circumstance, at least if we get caught, I could say he hasn't lost any hours because he's been sitting at his desk every lunch hour the rest of the week. Sort of, you know, yeah. just, oh, justify the fix. I love Dora. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dora, Dora is my angel. 
Um, and, uh, and it worked. And uh, I got my diploma in service, which was um, all I was looking for. I was a journalist first, looking to write about Wyoming Authority, not ever looking to be a psalm on the floor. Um, and my, um, I know someone got my diploma, and she brings an ad to me, because she just keeps giving. She brings an ad to me that, from the New York Times that says, Metropolitan Area Wine Magazine Seeks Critic. So I called, and W.R. Tish, William Tish mm-hmm. from uh, Wine Enthusiast, called back and said, come up for an interview, and he named me managing editor when I was 24. I left uh, Dora and lost her for almost two decades, and I couldn't find her. That's not in the piece I wrote, but no. it's, a pretty, it's a pretty wild story. I couldn't find her, and um, you know, even using you know, Google, when Google finally came out, and friends who had LexisNexis, I couldn't find Dora Hattress, or what I assumed was her married name, Johnson. And it wasn't until I wrote the um, Food and Wine Wine Guide in 2009 that she uh, she wrote to me and said, "I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Dora Hattress, and I worked with you." And I'm, I'm like reading, like, "Are you kidding me?" Where did she go? She got married and took it easy and moved to New Jersey, and that was the end of it. And has two kids that are in their 20s now, so you know has this great life, and but just you know had stopped writing, so that's why I couldn't find her. And so I called her and literally were in tears, like in tears on the phone. Like when I was like, are you kidding me? You have to ask if I remember you. Like, <laughs> but sweet as pie. And I had her over in her family and um, she still takes no credit for this and says that I'm the king of hyperbole. And she uh, she's very gracious about it. But I owe her my career. It's a great story. Yeah. No, reading it and even getting more details now. Um, I love it. And Matt Dillon had something to do with it too, so that's I like that's to think cool. that. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to think that too. I still yeah. have that issue too, which is pretty <laughs> wild. So, so then you were at Wine Enthusiast, and how long were you there? What What were your next like? I was working there for two years, and meanwhile, um, I got an offer to work at Windows on the World. So I worked there at nights. I would finish my oh, day job wow. and then go work the wine school at night. Andrea, back then, her name was Andrea McKinster. Then she became Andrea Emmer, and now oh. she's Andrea Robinson. And Andrea hired me. I had to write an essay for why I wanted to work at Windows on the World. It was pretty funny. We're the same age, but you know, she, was the, uh, she was in the position of wine director, so she interviewed dozens of people. And it was for the privilege of working for free at one of the greatest wine cellars in, if not the city, the country, too. Um, and I loved it so much that I stayed on after the class ended and worked in the wine club straight through to the night before they bombed it in 93. So that's when I lost my job. We all lost our jobs after they bombed the basement that year. And like, I, I worked the night before. I'm speechless. Yeah, so I worked till the night before. And um, such that, and this is pre-cell phone, so that the next morning my phone is ringing off the hook when my, my grandmother's trying to find if I'm home or not. And I was sleeping because I had worked till late the night before. So thank goodness I wasn't there that night. Um, and that ended it for me. I didn't, I didn't work ever again on the floor. Uh, at a um, restaurant and yeah. have just continued writing about it ever since. Yeah, I am kind of speechless. Sorry wow. about that. No, yeah, and then I'm that. thinking I'm thinking Michael uh, Lamonico, who was who was Windows of the World and his connection with Roger Dagorn, however you fancily say his name, but their connection working because they were at Porterhouse together. I'm just sitting here thinking how everything is so connected because even with Andrea, Uh I always see her at Aspen Food and Wine where I always see you, and it's just one big circle. Deep, deep affection um, whenever I see um, Michael LaMonaco and 
even um, Roger, Roger, um, when I see him, well, it's funny because, like, you know, he, he would introduce him as Roger, but everyone in the business, out of respect, yeah. would call him Roger because that's really how he says it at home. Um, and, uh, you know, we go way, way back. And, um, and there's still um, a lot of the pourers that all worked together at Windows that year in 92 that um, I remember working with that I still see them. We're all in the wine business still. And every now and then we're at, you know, an event or something and you look at, you look at them and go, oh, my God, how are you? And, you know, yeah. it's just a deep connection because we were Absolutely. there until, until, you know, everything went crazy down there. Yes. So you started... How did you get involved with writing food and wine for Food and Wine magazine and writing their wine guides? Um, so, connections. It's all about connections, right? Um, in the details blog I wrote about on my website mm-hmm. about that that uh, that whole thing with Dora and I said there was one other person who was in complicity with us, and her name was Christina Gerdovich. Who is now the publisher of Food and Wine. But Christina will tell you, I'm not saying anything out of school here. Um, She was in in the advertising business, not necessarily in the food world. Um, We always drank wine together. We were like Jerry and Elaine back in the day. We were, you know, only, I joked, only funnier. Um, (laughs) And we were always out together. And and as I became more and more involved in the wine world, I was invited to a lot of parties. And whenever I didn't have a date, I brought Chris. And so, you know, we were were, were out and about all the time. and we were drinking wine a lot. And then she got an interview call for um, Food & Wine magazine. And she said to me, oh, my God, I have to talk about Rioja. That's, they want me to be prepared to pretend I'm selling Rioja. And so I, I took her to dinner. She used to live up on the Upper East Side, so we went to Belladonna. I don't even know if it's still up there anymore, but it was a BYO. I ran to Sherry Lehman and grabbed a bunch of bottles of Rioja and met her for dinner and took her through the paces of back then. You know, the, the thing to talk about was just, you know, and it still is, I guess, the aging, the crazy aging potential and how they do it all for you and how cheap it is, how ridiculously cheap it is because Americans don't know anything about this. So Crianza, Reserva, Grand Reserva, and the price tiers. She got the job the next day. And, you know, so then now she's in the food world. I'm a wine enthusiast. And we're, we're, you know, we are in the same world finally together again. Um, but in a world we want to be in, not <laughs> the real estate finance world. So she's the one who um, kept putting me out there to her colleagues at Food & Wine saying, you know, you really need to meet this guy, Anthony. And I, you know, every now and then I get introduced to first the publisher, Julia McGowan, and then Dana McCowan, and the editors and other editors. And... Um, I was going to Aspen as press to the Food & Wine Classic, which is every June. And one year, Kevin Zraeli, who I'm connected to directly from Windows in the World, um, had to cancel literally, I think, two days before the Classic um, because his daughter was ill. And they asked, Chris suggested, why don't we put Anthony in there in his spot? So, And believe it or not, ironically, it was a Rioja seminar. Of course it was. So Letty Teague came and sat in there, and I was dying a thousand deaths while she listened to me try and do my, one of my very first seminars. I've done a thousand since, but this was one of the first. And I was a nervous wreck, but apparently did well enough that they said, bring him back. So this year, this June, will be my 19th classic So as a speaker. So I'm really excited. That's amazing. I'm planning to go back this year as some... I don't know. I just go as a as a... As an attendee, if I can get more involved, we'll see. But I'd love, I love Aspen Classic. I, I, it's, it, is, it is the benchmark by which all other food and wine festivals, and there's one every other day now, um, all of them aspire to do something like yeah. Aspen. And 
a few come close, but it's really one of the best. Yeah, they all have their own flavor, and I think there's a lot, yeah, practically every city does, but um, yeah, I haven't been in several years, so I will be back and check out your, your seminar. And I was just going to say, I'd love to tell you what I'm doing, but I'm late on telling them what I'm doing. They keep asking for proposals, and I haven't sent them any ideas. Ah, you have time. What, you got seven months? No, no, no <laughs> trust me. Everything needs to be done by, by the end of February, so I'm, I'm late. i got to get going. They have to actually pick. I, I propose five ideas, they pick two, and then I have to find lines for them all and, and okay. come up with compelling t- content. But I've done it a few times, so I'm not worried. I, I have a feeling you'll you'll get it to them and they'll approve and it will be good to go. Thanks, Sherry. <laughs> so on that note, let's take a little break here. We're going to come back. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Ever wonder where your Christmas tree came from? Now you don't have to. New York State-grown Christmas trees are now available in New York City. Trees grown on farms here in New York State are harvested just a few days before arriving to the city. Trees cut close to home stay fresh longer. And trees cut close to home travel less, which reduces fuel consumption of delivery vehicles. Did you know that buying a real tree helps to sustain agriculture in New York State by supporting local farmers and keeping important open space and agriculture production? The Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York is partnering with Grow NYC on a pilot project to make farm fresh trees and wreaths available at green markets in Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan. So when you shop local this holiday season, you can include the tree in that list. For more information and a full list of locations, visit christmastreesny.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Anthony Giglio. He's one of the most entertaining wine and spirits authorities, and he's awesome. Thank you, Sherry. (laughs) You're welcome. Let's talk about your role with the Centurion Lounge at American Express. Am I saying that all right? Yes. Centurion? Centurion is the real name of the black card, but everyone calls it the black card. Okay. And I'd like to tell you I have one, but I don't because I don't earn nearly as much money as I should. Um, there, there are yeah. very few black card holders out there. I don't have one. It's that makes tit- you feel any better. It's a beautiful titanium card. And I thought, you know, I should have one so I could talk the talk. And they said, your platinum card's fine. It gets you in because anyone with a platinum or higher gets in for free. Considering you're doing their, their you're the wine director, I think you can get in. Um, yeah, it, it was a joke. They wouldn't. Yeah. They were like, your platinum <laughs> card's fine. But um, so you know, when when this idea was hatched, um, my friend Gary, Gary Portuese, who used to be at American Express, um, he uh, it was it was his team that came up with this idea, and he recommended me uh, for wine director um, Scott Conan as the first chef. We started with Las Vegas. That was the first lounge, and Jim Meehan is the cocktail. Uh, you know, the mixologist for the lounge, all the lounges. Um, the idea was that, you know, they wanted to go after all of the other lounges in the U.S. and, and say, we're going to do something more like Virgin's lounges in London is like the be all end all, which I've never been to, by the way. But I hear that people 
go six hours ahead of their flight just to hang out in the Virgin Lounge. It's so ridiculous. I think really? you could like. I think there's like jacuzzis and <laughs> and you know Turkish baths. It's crazy how luxurious it is. Um, and, and I fly it all the time. And and, and you know I'm a continental guy who uh, had to become a United guy because that's what it mer- when it merged. Um, so I'm always at the lounge, their lounge. And, you know, they're very nice. They're very comfortable. They're very beautiful and tranquil when you're, you know, if you measure the, you know, the difference between the hubbub out in the hallway and all the people and all the noise, and then you go in there and, they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're all the same. They're, like, they're soundproof and very, you know, you feel good when you like oases in the airports. But what they offer isn't, you know, they're all pretty much the same, honestly. Like, they all have different levels of, of you know, luxury. But um, they've all become pretty standardized. And, and... You know, and that, it's fine. And it's all about, I think, for a lot of people who go to them, it's all about the alcohol, the free alcohol. Um, American Express said, you know, we want more than that. We want really good food. We want people to come there. We want to hand them an iPad. Offer them, you know, there's, there's so many different seating areas with vastly different feelings, moods, lounge chairs, um, recliners, you know, conference spaces, office spaces, tables, you know, cafe style uh, family style, like this crazy, crazy. I'm ready to go right now. Let's uh, go. <laughs> which we could we go to LaGuardia, and it's pre-security at LaGuardia, which is strange. I'll explain that, but it's it's a, it's one of the only ones that's pre-security, so we really, really could go. Um, and I do go there for meetings. Um, a lot of people will fly in, meet me there, and then fly back out again. It's the way that's the culture at LaGuardia. Believe it or not, all the lounges are pre-security. Wow, that's so cool. I never knew that. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm like, why would it, who who could ever relax pre-security? I couldn't. And yeah. they said, no, that's actually in LaGuardia. There's a lot of, all the lounges are pre-security. Yeah. And it probably wasn't a function of real estate in the beginning because it's such a small airport. Yeah. But it works that a lot of people will fly in for meetings and oh, literally so interesting. turn around and leave and go back, you know, probably East Coast, up and down the East Coast for meetings and stuff. I have no idea, but I wind up doing it too now. Um, anyway, so they wanted to anchor it with a great chef, um, serious cocktails. So there's Jim. And then... A really good wine list because and I always laugh when I go to the lounges and see like you know these are our premium wines and these are our super premium wines and everything is perfectly nice but it's usually warm and you know sometimes oxidized and you know I, I just think it could be better really better and knowing how to talk about them which is a huge point for that we're, we're that we're proud of we we train all of the staff to be able to talk about the cocktails and the wine backwards and forwards and the food. Um, just it's like you know we want it to be restaurant level quality or not even restaurant level super great restaurant level where the waiters can talk the talk too so everyone goes through these training and i had to write tons of notes for them and i go out and do staff trainings and so do our um, our wine partners so that's how it was born and then every club has uh, a distinct chef who is in charge of that lounge but jim and i remain wine director and mixologist for all of them so like scott's vegas Cedric von Richten is um, New York. Uh, Dean Fearing is in Dallas, Fort Worth. Michelle Bernstein is uh, Miami. Miami. I saw you were in Miami. And I'm heading there Monday, so I'm going to go check it out and pop in and see what's going on there. I'm nice. only there for the opening. Um, we have uh, San Francisco is our big, our big, our big wine one. I was able to take full advantage of that one when you know when we were proposing what to do there, and I said we cannot have the gateway to wine country not have a super uh, wine theme. So there's a beautiful wall of bottles um, all behind glass as a partition and then there's literally those um, wine emotion uh, machines or you know those those uh, dispensing systems and then there's the regular bar program too with Jim's cocktails and a whole other set of wines so like there's over 27 wines on offer at that lounge versus you know the 9 to 12 at most lounges 
I'm just thinking, I hope a lot of my listeners are American Express black cards so they can go. <laughs> well, anybody, so here's the deal. And, and, um, and it's hard because a lot of my friends will say, can I go? And I'll say, you, you know, I, I certainly could, you know, get you in for a, a pass if I can, you know, if, if it works time-wise. But you have to have an American Express card. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't have one. I'm like, how could you not have an American Express card? So if you don't have Amex, you cannot get in. If you have a platinum or higher, you're welcome with three guests. Um, families are always included. Um, and, and otherwise, you could buy in for $50 if you have an American Express card. Without an Amex, no admission, zero. But people say $50, and I'm like, do you understand that Like, I'm a traveler? So every week, if I, if I, I never get on a plane without having something to drink, like a bottle of water and a sandwich in case we're stuck on the tarmac for hours. That could happen, right? Right. Um, so you, 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 can't get, you can't get through any of that in less than $25, and that's without alcohol. You can't buy a sandwich and a bottle of water in an airport and a cup of coffee for less than 25 bucks. It's no, insane. The, the water kills me. Right. Yeah, the water, $8 <laughs> for a bottle of water now. $8 I, for a bottle I'll of water. Buy, I'll, I'll get there too early and I'll have to buy another one. I'm like, I just spent $9 on yeah, water. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, a 20, so, so 50 bucks isn't so bad, really. Um, especially if, you, if you're going right. to hang out for a while and they'll give you an iPad and, and you know, Wi-Fi and all that good stuff. All things that you pay for because the airport is all about paying mm-hmm. for everything. Yeah. So well. it's exciting. And we just opened a pop-up in Seattle and there are two more that I can't tell you about, but two more on deck. That's that will exciting. That will be at other big airports. And it's, uh, for me, the gift that keeps on giving. So I just, I just renewed for another five years as wine director. So Awesome. They like me. They like you. And I like them, so it's a good partnership. It sounds like it. Let me ask you my question I had um, from last week. So I had on Cricket Azima. She's the founder and the big cheese at the Creative Kitchen and Kids Food Festival. So she wanted to know, what wine and how much do you recommend for parents to consume to keep their sanity? (laughs) Um Wow. So I am a parent. I have um, my daughter Sophia is 12 and my son Marco is nine, is 10. Oh my God, he's 10 now, 10 and 12. Um, and we have wine every night um, for medicinal purposes. <laughs> That's what I tell myself. <laughs> no, we have um, red wine, almost always red wine, it seems. My wife and I, my wife Tony is from, she's Sicilian, so it's always about red wine for her. And we drink red wine practically every night of the week, um, at least a glass. Um, for sanity with kids, um, <laughs> I you know I mean honestly I I think um, I know you're being funny, but I, I do think that wine should be a part of every meal. And what I love is that my kids get that too. So I like for instance, just two nights ago, um, I, I I called ahead. My son was home with my daughter and the babysitter, and I said, "Can you um, can you set the table? I'll be home in ten minutes." And when I got home. There were four placemats down, four plates, forks, knives, two wine glasses, and four water glasses. And, like, it's stemware out. And, and he called and said, what wine do you guys want me to open? He's 10. And I just love that he gets it, that it belongs on the table. It's something that I'm really keen on. And, and I say to them, by the way, like, you're welcome to smell, it, smell this and taste this anytime you want. And they won't go near it. They hate it. They think it smells awful. <laughs> and that's fine. But what I joke about is that, you know, my first taste of wine was much younger. Well, you know, it, was, it was poured for us as kids, but they poured cream soda on top of it um, to dilute it. And Ew. It sounds gross, but it was the spaghetti spritzer, but it was to teach us that wine belonged on the table and that okay. it belonged with food. And it was a big Sunday thing at my grandmother's house where we always got 
the kids would get wine diluted with cream soda. I've heard people say Coca-Cola. I've heard people I say just, ginger ale. I wouldn't think that combo would be any good, but... It's, it's, it's adding sweet to, yeah. you know, to jug wine, which is probably an improvement, right? You're adding sweet soda to jug wine, which could use some help. Um, but, it, but it taught me that wine belonged on the table. And, and another thing that I've always said, Sherry, is that um, when people say, like, you know, how, 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 what are your food and wine pairing rules or how do you approach food and wine pairing... Um, I say that you know I'm, I'm a lot more democratic than most people think I should be as an expert, quote unquote. Um, in my house, the wine was among the condiments. It was there with the salt, the pepper, the oil, the vinegar, the grated cheese, and the pizza parlor shaker of crushed red pepper. And you reached in and you pulled anything towards the plate to make whatever was there taste better. And that included the wine. We didn't talk about the wine. It was not in stemware. It was not fancy. It was just there to make everything else taste delicious. And if that's a starting point for most people, I think that would be such a great um, relaxer for people who worry about, am I having the right wine with the right food? Which maybe people don't think that they have anxiety about it when they're doing it at home. But when I talk to them about it, they don't want to tell me because they think that they're going to say the wrong thing. Like, oh, my God, I, I like Chardonnay with steak. And I'm supposed to reflexively think that's terrible. And I say, if you think it's delicious, that's all that matters. And I think, right. you know, that that approach makes people relax. And that's that's where the conversation begins. Then you can do whatever you want. Like if I like coffee black with no sugar and you like caramel macchiato with sprinkles, we have different tastes. So we're not going to agree on everything. But um, at, if we could all agree that, you know, a glass of anything is better than a glass of water at the dinner table, <laughs> then, then relax and enjoy it. All right. And on that note. We're going to take another break, and we're going to come back and do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And you know, I remember my very first show, December 2009. It was a cold winter. And my first guest was William Grimes from the New York Times. Now, the one specific I had to tell him was wear a hat, gloves, and a warm coat because our studio had no heat. We had no heat in the winter. We had no air conditioning in the summertime. It was rough going, but we were a startup, and we had a good show, regardless of the fact that we could see our breath. So today, we still have hurdles to climb over, and the only way we can get there is with your help. So if you would please consider being a member and press that little beating heart button in the upper right-hand corner to donate. It's going to help us have heat and electricity, and air conditioning, and really good sound with really great guests. Thanks for listening. Okay, we are back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. 
I'm Sherry Bear. My guest is Anthony Gillio, and I have a special guest who just popped into the studio, Erin Fairbanks, the executive director at Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, thanks for letting me crash your party. I should have brought wine. I feel like I was like totally missing the boat, so maybe afterwards we can share a glass. Maybe afterwards. <laughs> Easily. <Yeah. laughs> Happily. Happily. I'll like defer to you, of course. Um, yeah, well, just stopping by um, to a lot of the shows this week because... Of course, it is December, and um, you know it's that season of, of giving and giving thanks. And um, wanted to say thank you to Sherry first and foremost for joining the Heritage Radio Network team. How many episodes are we up to now? Eighty-nine. <laughs> so coming up on our hundred anniversary. Yeah, unbelievable! And thank you for having me. I love being a part of this network. Yeah, I feel like it's been really excited to get to have insights into uh, what you do and the folks that you bring to the station are so different than any of the other programs. I don't know if your listeners know, but the station actually has at this point thirty-eight weekly shows covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture. So lots of great and really unique uh, content like this. And to make it run. We are, as a nonprofit, completely dependent on the support of listeners like you out there, wherever you are listening, um, and a small team of uh, businesses that support us in as underwriters. And you're used to hearing those during the breaks of Sherry shows and the other Heritage Radio Network shows. So I am making an appeal on behalf of the network, um, you know, help us keep the lights on, um, some some ambitious goals for 2016 um you know obviously continuing to bring you great programming looking for some studio updates i've been hearing some peeps about maybe some new studio station chairs um so maybe that's in the future um, it was funny <laughs> i know well L- linda was reminding me linda palaccio who was taste of the past that when she did her first show she had william grimes on and she warned him she's like listen it's going to be a show. We're going to talk about culinary history. But the thing is, there's no heat in the studio yet. So really wear something warm. So I'm like, we've come a long way since 2009. There's heat. There's a brand new website. Um, there's a lot of stuff. But we are always ambitious and looking to do more. So would love you guys out there to chip in a couple of bucks. Um, really, any amount helps. If, if everyone who listened to a network um, was able to send a, a dollar to our way, we would be fully funded and and sitting pretty into the new year um so yeah that's it it's just a it's just a tiny little push if everyone has a little lift then we can carry a big load awesome i second all of that and people can go to our website and click on the little beating heart at the top of the page yeah and actually when you click on that heart you can say that you heard about this on all in the industry you can click down and you can let them know that hey yeah sherry sent me and I know she would love to hear from you and to, to see your support come through. That way you can join her folks <laughs> um, in, in a great lineup of, of people who are supporting us and supporting us keeping all the industry on the air. So excited. What is, what's up next? Are we, are we in time for the speed round? It's, it's time for the speed all round. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Okay. It's time for the speed round, Anthony. What? I'm, t- I'm holding on to this chair with both hands. <laughs> so what this is, I'm just going to name a couple of things, either or situation. You just pick your preference. Okay. Here we go. I'm skeptical. No, you'll be fine. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? You know it's wine. Yeah, duh. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. (laughs) Speaking about wine or writing about wine? 
Oh God, that's a that's a Sophie's choice. I was giving you. You were doing so well with the speed. <laughs> <laughs> But that's okay. I, 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 I could I could see your hesitation. Speaking, speaking, okay, speaking. Okay. I get a big high out of speaking. Now, also, speaking about wine, spit or swallow? Swallow. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese, always. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Awesome, that's the game. Sorry, Brooklyn. <laughs> no, you're, you're excellent. Excellent job. First, I thought you were talking cocktails, and then I thought, wait, are you saying borough or co- did you mean? Every, co- uh, I've had everyone I think in your field that's come on the show, or even other people, have um, questioned that, and you can interpret it however okay. you like. But I was thinking I more co- boroughs. I meant the cocktail. Oh, fabulous! Yeah. <laughs> but then I thought, holy cow, I'm in Brooklyn now. Should I say Brooklyn, even though I, I only? Yeah, Brooklyn. that's also uh, that's also. Uh, gotten some people too, like the pressure of being here but no you did great okay what's next the industry news section of the show so we keep talking on the show about the tipping thing going on because it keeps coming up as news so this week uh eater wrote about how 11 madison park will eliminate tipping in 2016 the article was by ryan sutton they're switching to 295 dollar flat service included menu um I don't know. I keep. T- I mean, what's your take on tipping? Well, you 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 answered for tipping. So, do you have any feel about this change that's happening and the whole Danny Meyer switching to no tipping and hospitality included? God, I mean, so many of us are talking about this, but it's it's so particular to Danny Meyer kind of restaurants and his restaurants. I expect spectacular service. I mean, every waiter at that restaurant or all of it, every waiter at all of his restaurants are out of like. A catalog for exemplary, beautiful servers. I mean, honestly, the, the level of service there is 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 unparalleled, and and the benchmark that everyone tries to live up to. But there are thousands of restaurants, and I eat all over the place where it's not even nearly that close. And I think it's it tipping is very personal. Um, but then again, there's also the notion we were talking about this offline earlier that um, you know when waiters are forced to pool. Um, some are fine not doing such a great job because everyone's carrying them anyway. I was a waiter for 10 years, so I could say this as an insider. I'm not just saying this as a snooty diner who sits there and harumphs at bad service or, you know, d- deserves the best service. I know it, it's, you know, waiter, being a waiter is, 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 is a, you know, it, it, everyone has good days and bad days. And, but I, I think the, the communal thing is, is very, very tricky unless you're in a place that has a seriously um, good management staff that keeps everyone at the same level or at a, at a spe- expected level. I've worked for bad managers who let a lot of people slack while some of us worked really hard. I was, you know, of course I'm going to say this, but I really was. I was an Uber waiter. I, I became bartender and I practically was running the place after a while when I was working at this um, great restaurant in Hoboken back in the 80s and 90s. But I, you know, I, I, I made a lot of money because I worked my butt off and, and I remember being resentful of tables I was carrying for other people. We didn't have communal tipping. And I thought, like, why am I doing all this work and not right. even getting a piece of it? But I don't think it should be like that. I think that we should all be responsible for our own stuff. But then you, and then you have uneven service. I, it's really tricky. It is tricky. I, I don't know. My, I keep trying to figure out what my opinion is on all this, and it keeps kind of changing. But I, I feel when a high-end restaurant like 11 Madison Park or I've been to, to you know, you have a... a per se it's included like on the fine dining high level places where the servers are there it's their career and their 
they're so passionate about what they're doing. I think it makes sense. I I'm I have a little bit of an I guess a an issue maybe with it's like American culture to tip and it's a tipping culture yeah. and and I just can't imagine it just changing across the board and at all the 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 lower level or just the regular restaurants you go to. I, I, so I just got back from you know I, I I led three wine tours of Sicily this summer. Um, you know, consider myself very fortunate. And then we went on vacation. My wife's family is from Sicily, so we go there almost you know, every year or two. We have to talk about that that after the show because I did a trip to Sicily this year. And but I'll tell you, we're you know, so we're we're with the family, and they keep taking us to all their local restaurants. Nothing fancy, great pizzerias. Everything's outside, very informal. Kids everywhere, and. The service stunk across the board. It was like if we went out to dinner ten times in, in the two weeks we were there, one restaurant had one great waiter. And we just kept looking at them saying, this is because everything's included. And you know what? What do they care? They're paid. No matter what they do, they're paid. And unless you're at a great Danny Meyer restaurant or uh, of that ilk, I could see waiters just being like, hey, I'm getting paid no matter what I do. So what, am I, what do I care? Whereas... Alpha waiters are the ones who are like, I can make that happen for you. In a restaurant where there are no exceptions, we're not changing anything, there's the waiter who says, I could talk to the chef, and you know, if you really have a problem with plums or whatever, I could, I could work on it. Like, those are the waiters that get tipped well because they go out of their way for you and they work hard. I, I, I'm really, I would worry about it becoming standard everywhere because it would lead to, I think it would lead to a, a, a sense of entitlement by waiters to say, like, I'm getting paid anyway, so who cares? Right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens and who follows Danny's lead and and others. And they are people who are on board already. So yeah. Um, and the other thing I'll just bring up quickly because I find it interesting was that another article on Eater was how Franny's, a very beloved restaurant uh, pizzeria out in in Brooklyn, they yesterday they announced that they were going to add a three percent Obamacare surcharge on their guest checks. <sighs> And I just saw about an hour for the show that they now are retracting that and they're just going to configure their, their pricing and figure it out because there were people that thought it was strange that you were going to put this, that you were calling out what, why you were going to be raising your prices because with the, the tipped employees uh, or with, with um, what is employment uh, uh, pay is uh, – Tipped employees are—it's being increased, and they're—they're they're trying to cover the employees, right. and they're trying to right. cover all the other costs that are going up, and with this health insurance, and so, um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah, because I, I if, if for the career waiters, it is a big issue that there's you know that there's no insurance. So now that if that's something that's on the table, yeah, prices have to rise. I think. You know, I, I think it's it's interesting what's happening because you know this has been talked about for years and years and years. Um, and I was never a career, you know intended to be a career waiter, and I, I used to think about like how do these people make it? Um, the minimum you know, we were paid like a, a stipend basically. It was all the you know tips were all we were really paid. We were paid practically nothing to be waiters. Um, and I, I but I worked with people who did this. This was their job. They had kids, um, kids in school, and and they were hustling and hustling and hustling. And they had no benefits. Nobody had any health insurance. And I thought, yeah. how do you live this way? You have children. Like, how dangerous is that not to have health insurance? So, yeah. But to, to call it the Obamacare um, stipend is so divisive, even in, in lefty Brooklyn where we're all, you know, <laughs> liberal. It's, it's, I just think that would make people hate it. 
Yeah, and and I didn't I didn't explain this as so well. It's being that Obamacare next year they're requiring businesses with over fifty or more full time staffers to provide recently priced health insurance. So they're trying. I feel like it's they're trying to do a good thing and and follow the law and all this. But it was also I think the way they did it um, yeah. rubbed people the wrong way. So the only the only thing that if there is if there is like. You know how to justify, and I can't speak from that specific space because I don't have a business that has fifty employees. But if you have fifty employees, you're doing okay. Like, I mean, like I think that you know maybe you know, uh, but I bet you that people with fifty employees can maybe take advantage of other things that the government might it might give you. I, I, I'm, I don't I'm, know. I'm out of my league here. But. I don't know. Yeah. Well. It's interesting. <laughs> we'll see. Well, this is this, these stories. I think are going to keep coming up um, of what the change is happening. But on that note, we're going to take a break, final break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to do my solo dining experience. So in the industry and Heritage Radio Network. back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is brought to you by One House Hospitality Headhunters. You can follow them on Facebook and on Twitter at one underscore house and on Instagram at one house. That's spelled O-N-E-H-A-U-S. So here's the rundown of my solo dinner at Queen of the Night. Bear with me. It's a little bit long. The location, 235 West 46th Street at the Diamond Horseshoe at the Paramount Hotel in New York City's Theater District. The concept, magical circus and acrobatic performances with surprises plus a sit-down feast. The chef, Jason Calhart, the chef de cuisine, Greg Lingaya, and the director of food performance, Jennifer Rubel. Why did I go? Because this dinner theater of decadence and secret delights is closing at the end of this year, and I was curious to check it out before it did. My experience. I arrived a little before 8 o'clock on a Sunday evening in appropriate cocktail attire to meet the queen per her invitation request. I descended down the stairway to the basement, was greeted by one of the performers. He took my hand and led me into the room. He inquired what I was celebrating that evening, and I said Sunday. He expected a bit more and was surprised and charmed that I was there by myself. He told me to get a drink at the bar and then move around the room. As I did, performances and mysterious things were happening. Soon we were asked to be seated at communal tables and the feast began. What did I get? Okay, so each table received different main courses with the idea that you barter with other tables to get a different dish. So we had the lamb, which was excellent, and we traded for some chicken and salmon, but really we kept most to ourselves because it was good. There were also sides of salad, potatoes, rice. There were olives and red grapes on the table. My take. Now, I've never had a dinner experience quite like this. It brought new meaning to communal dining. Someone at our table carved our lamb, and we all passed around utensils and dishes, and then cleaned up in unusual fashion. Meanwhile, there were acrobats, fire throwers, magicians, contortionists, and more to keep us entertained. 
The scene, a stylish New York crowd, perfect for one-of-a-kind night out. Interesting tidbit, the producer is Randy Weiner of Sleep No More and The Box, and LDV Hospitality runs the food program. Pre-opening, LDV's John Meadow had given me a tour of the space, and I learned that they were bringing back what was Billy Rose's Diamond Horseshoe in the same hidden basement space, opened from 1938 to 1951, and featuring groundbreaking performances. The space had been vacant since. Personal fun fact, I ran into Elizabeth Faulkner, the chef, who was there that evening with friends, and I had just dined with her earlier in the week at a group dinner hosted by One House at Pearl and Ash. Life is random. The cost, $164. That was including tax and convenience charge. Would I go back? Yes. If they brought it back, I would. Website, queenofthenightnyc.com. That's it. I, I got my big one in there. Have you been? Did you go? No, uh, no, I wish I did. And <laughs> you got a month. You yeah. got a month, and going on Sunday was was less expensive than going on a Friday or Saturday. It changes every night. Well, I, from look, I don't know. I just happened to look, and it was on Friday or Saturday. It was like two hundred, and huh. Sunday was less. It was so. Is service included? Yes, okay. and service. It's it's very it's very bizarre. Aaron, have you been? <laughs> I have not been, but I'm a big fan of Jennifer Rubel's. I think she does really interesting and often like food-based performance work. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll add it to my Christmas list. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Nikki Reese Dermody. I'm saying her. I always got Nikki Reese and then she got married, so I don't know if that's right, Dermody. But um, she's the director of special events at Bon Appetit. So, Anthony, can you ask Nikki a question? Can I ask Nikki a question? Yeah, for my next show, I need a question. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Anything you want. You have an amazing job. I'm sure you have envy of all of your friends. What is your favorite part of that job? Okay. I, Done. I love I love looking at her Instagram feed. It's, it's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, she does a great job. So that's the show. That's it. I could keep <laughs> that's going. That's it. We went over. That's it. Did we? As you know, I could talk ad nauseum about wine and everything yeah we could stay here all day but i think there's a show at five that we probably have to wrap up for thank you so much for having me on here thank you thank you for coming out here i'm very impressed with your career and all of your stories and wish you much continued success cheers to that so my guest today has been anthony Gilio, one of the most entertaining wine and spirits authorities his website is anthonygilio.com and you can find him on social media at winewise guy you can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. Now, this is my final show of 2015. I'm taking a little break in December to travel and get ready for the new year. So my next live show will be Wednesday, January 6th, 2016 at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Many thanks to all of my guests, including Anthony, for making this year so special. To all of you listeners, and to th- thanks to Heritage Radio, my fabulous engineers, Liz and Jack, and my fabulous executive director, Aaron. Thanks for popping in today. I wish everyone a wonderful holiday season and Happy New Year. I'm Sherry Bayer. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.
for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. About what you've done.